My name is Jeremy Devins, and this is the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. And today's topic is why I stopped planning classes. And that means writing down, okay, we're going to do this sequence, then that sequence, and it's going to fit together this way. I'm going to say this. I stopped doing all of that pretty early on in my teaching, and it was kind of scary. And it was not something that I thought I would ever really do, and I thought it actually meant that I was a bad teacher because I didn't have a plan. And I thought a good teacher should have a plan and a really good thought-out sequence that makes sense before they go to teach. Otherwise, you're just unprepared and unprofessional. And I realized in my perspective, it's actually in many ways the opposite. So I'll tell you why on today's episode, and if you want to keep in touch with me and follow this podcast, go to quietmind.yoga slash podcast, where you can subscribe for updates and hear about an upcoming opportunity to work with me. I'll be offering something really cool in March, so we'll have the details of that very soon, but if you're a yoga teacher wanting to improve your teaching and your business and grow your teaching online and have an online career, not just teaching as a hobby or as a side job, but if you desire to really make your living as a teacher, which I think is entirely possible, and I know many people doing it, have been doing it for a long time, and I think the world needs your gifts. <clears throat> I've been working with some amazing teachers one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm going to be sharing a really cool offer coming up in March. So stay tuned for that. You'll hear about that if you're subscribed at quietmind.yoga slash podcast, where you can get updates directly from me. So this topic of today goes back to early on when my teaching, way back in 2012, was my first full year of teaching classes after I finished my training. And I was going to teach this morning class because when you're starting out, you teach whatever class you can find anywhere, any opportunity. And online wasn't really an option back then. I tried doing some online YouTube videos and stuff, but it was just not quite working the way I was hoping. So like everyone else, pre-COVID, I was teaching in-person classes and taking any opportunity I could get. So if you're a newer teacher, this is an important thing I always recommend is take any opportunity you can get because nothing teaches you like experience. It's very important to have great teachers and guidance and support and a direction and a path. But ultimately, your experience is your greatest teacher, and you've got to get as much of that experience as possible to be a more effective and efficient teacher and be able to better show up for your students and to know what works and what doesn't work. So I was doing that, taking any opportunity I could, including a 4.30 a.m. yoga class. Uh, so this is something I actually was a practitioner. I was going there regularly myself before this as part of a kundalini sadhana practice. Of course, kundalini yoga is a more spiritual practice, involves a lot of chanting, mantras, mudras, meditative things, breath work, uh, much less of the physical asana, much, much less, including the 4.30 a.m. sadhana, the Aquarian sadhana, if you're familiar with that. It's an hour of chanting. There's actually a reading at the beginning of that, then an hour of chanting, then about an hour of yoga, and including different... Uh, yoga techniques from Kundalini. So two and a half hours every morning at 4.30 a.m. And fortunately, here in Austin, there was a solid community of people doing that. So it made it kind of easy to get up and go and do that. And then after going for months as a practitioner, some days, so the people who are meant to be leading it 
didn't make it or didn't want to get up that early because it's challenging. Even the most dedicated students would miss at times, and that's totally normal. So sometimes they need someone to fill in, and I'd been going there so regularly, I knew what to do so I could fill in. So I would. And then eventually it became a regular thing. So we were actually just doing this at a space that was not a yoga studio, but they were allowing us to use the space. They used it for different meditation classes and different talks and spiritual community things. And they let us use it for this 4.30 a.m. yoga class. And after doing that for months, they said, well, maybe we should start doing yoga classes here all the time. So they created some openings on the schedule, and I was fortunate to be one of the first people they talked to. And that studio became Sanctuary Yoga, the first nonprofit yoga studio in Austin, Texas, which just recently closed its doors after nearly 10 years in business. Off and on, there's a lot of different stops and starts with that. So they kind of had different uh, forms of that, but ultimately, it's not currently active and it may again at some point in the future. But I was super excited to get opportunities to teach. And I said, yeah, wherever you need a teacher, I'll do it. I would love to teach. I want more experience. I want to help people. This stuff has helped me tremendously change my life. I want to share. How about 6 a.m., right? You're already up at 4.30 a.m. How about a 6 a.m. class? So I started teaching this 6 a.m. class. So 4.30 a.m. sadhana. Then that's two and a half hours. And then I got time to transition into the 6 a.m. class. And I would start teaching that uh, just once a week. And one person might come, two people might go, uh, three people sometimes, four people was kind of impressive and amazing. But it was really small groups of people and very intimate. It's just like, okay, I'm just there with them to teach them yoga in the morning. They're just getting up. It's early. It's the sun still rising. Right, so it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention that you might not always get in most settings. So I got to learn a lot of things about, okay, somebody's got a little back pain today, what's going to be helpful for them? And this is another key takeaway I think you could apply from this is getting opportunities to work one-on-one -on -one with people. And it may be that you try to teach a group class and it becomes a one-on-one. -on -one. That's happened to me many times early on. And that's great too. But seeking out actual one-on-one -on -one opportunities will give you so much insight and perspective because you can ask questions and you can get real-time feedback and say, is this working? Is this not working? Let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's try that. And actually have a dialogue and communication. If you're teaching one-on-one -on -one and just queuing like you would teach to a group class of like 30 people, you're really missing a massive opportunity there to have a conversation and a dialogue with this person to learn what really works for them. And the thing is, everybody's different. So someone might feel terrible in pigeon pose. Someone might feel like it's the best pose ever. So there is a very individualized perspective to this, but there are many, many patterns that you pick up when you work one-on-one -on -one with people over time that you won't get in a group. So I was picking up on that. and. I was coming to class with these very well-prepared things. And if you teach Kundalini Yoga, which I was teaching early on, there is a set sequence of things. And you use these specific Kriyas or sequences of, could be asana, movements, pranayama, lots of different things. But they're set, like a recipe. Like you don't 
change the chocolate cake recipe if you want to make the chocolate cake. You might add small, small changes, but if you change it too much, the cake doesn't even turn out. So that's how Kundalini Yoga is, very specific. And as I started to train more in Hatha and Vinyasa and other styles and teach those, I took that same approach of, I'm going to teach a specific thing for a specific result, just like baking a cake, because it works. And it does until it doesn't. And this is the third big takeaway from this little story is I planned this perfect sequence for the shoulders. I was super excited about teaching it. And I went to go teach my 6 a.m. class that had been consistently small, but dedicated. And I knew these people pretty well. And I knew the shoulder sequence would be really helpful for them. And then one of the students showed up and we took some, we did some check-ins. I always do little check-ins at the beginning of class. How are you doing? Any requests for today? I can try to weave into the class because that's what my teachers did. Found that really helpful. Much more on that in the future. Uh, but then one of them mentioned, well, actually, I've got this big shoulder injury that just happened the other day and I can't do anything with my shoulders. So my whole plan was now useless and my chest sank a little bit and I tried to buy time and I said, oh, your shoulder, uh, like what, what's wrong with your shoulder? What happened? And as they're talking, I'm trying to think like, what am I going to do? How am I going to change the sequence when everything is built around the shoulders? What am I going to say? And they're saying what happened to them and their, how painful it is and how limited the movement is. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what can we do without the shoulders? And I didn't really know what to do. I didn't have any sort of backup. So my solution was, well, I could have had a plan B that is this whole sequence that's not based on the shoulders and have that ready to go next time I teach. But ultimately, I came to this realization of a totally different solution, which is what I had to do in that moment in real time which is what anybody would have to do. If you have a perfect plan and you can't use it at all, you've got to make something up. You've got to be spontaneous and think on the spot. So what can we do without the shoulders? What do I know? What's in my repertoire? What's in my experience? What have I done? Right? I can't just teach something I don't know anything about. I've got to teach from experience and from my own practice. So what have I done and experienced without using my shoulders that's been helpful? And I taught that. And by the end of the class, that person said, that was exactly what I needed. It was perfect. Thank you. Really grateful, really appreciative. And that came from a spontaneous response to that person. Now, if I didn't check in, I wouldn't have known that unless they volunteered that information. And even on, in their intimate settings where people know you well, they're regulars, they talk to you, Unless you create that space for that kind of communication, they're not going to tell you and they'll just kind of work through it or suffer through the pain and not really say anything and you don't know. So you've got to have that space where they can tell you and this is where if you get to a bigger class and there's like 30, 40 plus people there, they might not want to say that out to a big group. Maybe it's a woman who was recently pregnant and she had issues and complications to do with the pregnancy and doesn't want to share that with the entire group. But if you create a space in a large group where you can walk around and talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, they can tell you these things. So that's where if you have a big group, eventually you do want to have more space 
before the class where you can walk around and say, how's it going? Anything I should know about today? Or just be available so people can talk to you and know if they have an issue, they can tell you. Or if they're more experienced, they might have an issue and just know how to modify and adjust and adapt, and that's fine. But I always like to provide the space for the student to help create the experience too. So it's interactive. It's not just a movie. It's not just a video, right? So that's the power of teaching live is it's interactive and they are creating the experience too. Because now, especially at this point, you can put on a yoga YouTube video or, or online on-demand video. I have the Quiet Mind Yoga membership with 400 classes plus on there. So you could just jump into any class you want, but even when it's specifically in the title, you're working with shoulders, you can request shoulders. It's not quite the same as if you go to me directly and we're live and you can say I have the specific issue with my shoulders. So that's one of the important things of when we're teaching people live, one of the major benefits is that we can personalize it to exactly where that person is at. And that's something that I really value and think is super important. It's one of my strengths. I talk about with my yoga teacher training trainees that I used the Strengths Finder 2.0 test years ago, early on in my teaching. And one of my biggest strengths that I found in there was personalization. And I already kind of knew that, it just validated it, but I chose to emphasize that more in my teaching and seek out ways to personalize the class even more. So I really value that, but you might have different strengths and skills that you don't like to do that. And it's not even playing to your strengths. So it might not be something you want to do, but I find that students find that incredibly valuable. I find it incredibly valuable. So regardless if it's considered a strength or not for you, that is something that is unique to live classes that we can provide as teachers, this opportunity to get exactly what you need as an individual. And you can't do that if you're just following a plan. So at that point in that class, when I changed direction and just spontaneously created something that would suit this person and where they're at, taking out all the shoulder stuff, I realized that there was a gap in my knowledge. And this is the other big takeaway here is to notice where your knowledge gaps are. And for me, it was having sequences ready in my own experience and repertoire and background and just ready to go at command essentially. So if somebody says I've got tight hips, I'm immediately thinking of poses to help release tension in the hips. And even a next level beyond that is I'm immediately thinking, well, which part of your hips? Is it the hip flexors in the front? Is it the outer hips, the abductors? And then I know those muscles more in depth. And if you're hearing this and like, I don't know, what do you mean what part of the hips? That's a knowledge gap. We always want to be aware of the gaps in our knowledge and experience so we can work to gain that knowledge and experience over time. As I talked about at the beginning of this year, the 22 ways to improve your teaching in 2022, that's a great episode to go back, whether it's 2022 or 2042, and the podcast still exists, hello, uh, that's still valuable and relevant to go back and say, okay, well, I have a knowledge gap. That's something I can work to develop this year, maybe just a quarter, three months. I just read read three books on anatomy or read three books on sequencing so I can develop this skill more. 
But that's always an important thing to be considering is what are the knowledge gaps? What are the opportunities to learn and grow so I can be a better teacher? And for me, in the story I'm sharing, I realized a big gap was in being able to be spontaneous and have stuff ready to go that anybody could work with under any circumstance. And that just takes time and experience. So the more I've practiced over the years, I go to a class, they do something cool, not just cool, but also really helpful. I'm like, wow, I never noticed that sensation or that stretch or that way of doing things that becomes added to my own uh, mind-body connection, my own practice I'll do outside of that class. And I might write it down, I might take notes, but for the most part over the years, it's just been embodying it. And that's, I think, one of the most powerful ways to learn. But again, we all have our own different learning styles and approaches. So you might wanna take copious notes and have index cards all over your house or a big journal or multiple journals. I know plenty of very successful teachers who have all these different approaches. So there's no one right way to do it, but to find your way that you can build a repertoire, I think that is incredibly valuable. Unless, of course, you're teaching like Bikram or Ashtanga, where it's just a set sequence and you follow that, or some other form or modality where it's just a set sequence, then great, stick with that. But even within that, you're going to encounter people who have limitations and injuries, who aren't able to do certain things, and it doesn't mean that they are incapable or lesser than in any way, but it means that you have an opportunity as a teacher to adapt the sequence, the pose, the approach to support the student. Because we're ultimately there to support the student, not so much there to make them force their body into shapes like you would if you were a gymnast or a contortionist or some sort of athletic performance or competitive sport. That In that case, you do push yourself. You do fight through the pain and you do really push your body to its limits to perform and to compete and beat other people. But in yoga, that's not the approach. It's a goalless practice and you know, my approach and not everybody's approach. But in general, I think that's the general consensus and the way I approach it is there's not a goal, it's not a performance and we're not going to force or push anything beyond its limits to try to attain some sort of external validation of what a pose should look like or somebody said it should uh, because that's their opinion. <laughs> Ultimately, we're working with anatomy and knowing how anatomy works and the different possible range of motion for everybody and each possible movement of the body. So we want to work within that. In triangle pose, there are certain actions happening like spinal extension, spinal rotation, right? And we are aware of those and then moving the student from that awareness of those movements of the body rather than, well, triangle pose is supposed to look like this shape, so I'm going to force you into that shape. It's what are the components of that shape? And for some people, it's going to be bigger range. Some people, it's a smaller range. So we're always aware of that when we're teaching on a more specific level. But again, zooming out to the more broad level of why I don't plan my classes, well, I think we've established that is because you might have a perfect plan and then you encounter a situation that is almost the exact opposite of workable with your plan. And so as they say in the, the Art of War, that old book by Sun Tzu that many people reference over the years, uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. 
And of course, students are not our enemy. But I think that quote applies to many areas of life. And another way of saying it that I like even more is, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans or tell her your plans or the universe, whatever your beliefs, whatever your perspective of that. But tell your plans to the source and you'll hear laughter in response because there's always a bigger, more beautiful, more perfect plan than we could ever imagine. And that's what happens when we come together for union, for yoga, connection to the divine, not connection to your plan, not connection to your idea of what was going to be union in that moment. You know, it's like going out on a date or having a conversation with somebody. You don't plan everything out and say, okay, we're going to talk about A and then B and then C, and it's going to be perfect. Right? You, you go with the flow. You're present. You're curious. You're interested. You're watching their body language. You're listening to their tone. The same thing as a teacher. All of that allows us to be present and create real union with the divine, union with the present moment union with their experience in that moment, that day, that class, and the energy that's created between you and the student and the rest of the class. That is creating real presence and union in the moment. And you can do that by following a recipe, by following a plan. That's totally valid. I'm not saying that doesn't work. I'm not saying you should never do it. I'm saying that for me, I found that that is a little bit short-sighted because it doesn't allow you to respond fully to the situations that might arise. And what does is having this repertoire of experience, skills, sequences that you've experienced and embodied. So when you're ready to teach, those things can come through you because they're there, they're stored up and it's embodied. It's not just something you read in a book or in a yoga journal or on a website of, oh, I guess, you know, pigeon pose should be good for emotional release, but you've actually spent some time in pigeon pose and felt emotional release, or you've taught it to a class and you've seen people cry and have emotional releases. So it's coming from this place of experience, not just an idea or a concept. And your experience might be at this point, a lot more limited than somebody who's been teaching for 10 years. And that is totally okay. But can you help the person in front of you? Do you have a little more experience than the person you're teaching? Or maybe not a little more, but your own unique experience distinct from the person you're teaching that can give perspective. You don't need to be the most experienced person in the room or the wisest person or know all the poses or have all the experience. But what does help is to have a presence to be aware of what's happening in the room in the moment for the student for yourself and to provide something that can be of value or benefit to them right i've had that especially early on my first few years i had plenty of classes where i was not the most experienced person in the class and it felt intimidating and it felt scary and i felt like how can this person even want to come to my class what are they going to learn from me they all already know everything i know plus years more, right? That was the sort of fear voice, right? And we all have that fear voice and we all have the opportunity to listen to it or to listen to the other voices, like the voice of uh, curiosity of, oh, I noticed that when I said to do this pose, they did this other variation. Maybe that feels better in their body. I don't know. Maybe there's a sense of uh, spaciousness that they found that I didn't wasn't aware of was possible in this pose or a stretch I didn't know was possible. 
this place of curiosity and even asking them questions and coming to them with humility of, oh, I noticed you did this thing. I hadn't seen that before. That was really cool. Where did you learn that? Or, or why did you do that? I haven't seen that before. I'd love to learn more about it. Uh, and not needing to be the person with the most answers, but perhaps being the person who is taking the seat of the teacher and choosing to be the one who's holding the space on that day. And we all at different times take the seat of the teacher for each other where somebody might be younger, older, different background than you, and they're teaching you about something because they have something to share and you can choose to learn from them. And I learn from people who have months of experience or one year of experience when I've had, you know, a decade of experience and I go to that newer person and I learn something new about myself and I learn some new perspective or some new technique or something I hadn't thought about because we're always all teaching each other. And as students, we come to those experiences open with an empty cup, ready to learn and receive. And as teachers, in many ways, I come to the class and I, I encourage this approach and exploring this approach to see if it's resonant for you to come to that class as a teacher with an empty cup. And yes, you've got all your experience and background and perspectives, but can you meet that student or those group that group of students with an empty cup of all right i don't know exactly what's going to happen in this hour together and you don't either we're going to create it together i'm going to guide it and do my best to be like the ouija board hand that says i trust this process and i'm just going to watch it happen and unfold in a way and i have all the experience of knowing what's safe what's effective what's going to be helpful in this particular pose or that pose that's all there but i'm not starting from this place of trying to unload all this information on you or trying to impress you with my amazing sequence or anything like that but i'm watching this experience unfold i'm guiding it a little bit not too much and I'm adapting it to what I see unfolding, what I hear from your breathing, what I notice from your movements and alignment and how it can best serve you. Now, I started to take on that perspective slowly. I made it sound so big and epic, but it was really just a slow process of, oh, I don't know poses for the hips. What, you know, very early on is like, what are the hips? <laughs> uh, okay, well, how do I stretch them and strengthen them? And, oh, that didn't feel so good. Okay, this feels good. And it starts to build up that repertoire and it takes time, takes experience, helps to have guides and teachers. And this is the kind of stuff I teach in my teacher training, of course, uh, sequences of poses to address the hips, sequences for the shoulder, sequences for the neck and so on. So you have that repertoire, but it's ultimately has to come down to your experience with it. And that's where you teach from. And then when you have students who have questions and you don't know, they say, I've got plantar fasciitis. And you're like, what's that? I don't know. I'm going to look into it. What have you found is helpful for you? And then now you've got a technique. Oh, they found it's helpful to roll on a tennis ball. Okay, great. That's something that we could possibly do in a class going forward. And you try it and experiment with it and find what works, work with people. And those are the great students to reach out to and say, hey, I don't know. Would you like to work one-on-one -on -one with this and help me learn how to work with plantar fasciitis and we'll learn together? That's a great way to get experience. And then over time, you build up that experience and repertoire and you can go to classes and have a lot of stuff to draw from, a lot more experience. The more experience you have to draw from, the better you can teach the class and be present and adapt to each student in front of you. 
And then each student, each individual feels like they got exactly what they needed. Even if you've taken requests, and I've done this where you get the most wide range of requests you can get in a group. Uh, one group, I wrote it down. It was so crazy. It was like nine different requests totally different requests. One person had a knee injury. One person was pregnant. One person was brand new. One person had been teaching for 10 years and I knew her practice. She could do anything, right? So this wide range of experience, how do you adapt? So everybody feels like they got what they needed. And that comes down to experience. And you've worked with a pregnant person one-on-one. You've worked with a knee injury one-on-one. You've worked with this other student one-on-one and you know what to draw from and you know the commonalities and you eliminate all the things that don't work because, well, this isn't going to work for a pregnant person. So we take that out, even though I know the experienced student can do that. This won't work for knee injury. So we'll take that out, even though I know the beginner can do that. Right. And then you narrow it down more and more and you're being present and you're drawing from your experience. You're listening to the students, you're responding to them. And that you can do all that with a plan too. You can have a plan and, oh, I just take out this chunk here and we can still work with the general outline. But over time, you build up this repertoire of sequences and you can build them like building blocks live in real time in a way that makes sense and flows together beautifully and tell a story through the class, even though it's spontaneous. It's like improv, like improv acting, improv comedy, You find the common threads as you go through the sequence and you weave it all together as you go through it rather than coming to class with that plan. I know it's a little scary. It's difficult. I know I went to one of my first mentors. I went to her classes and I wrote down everything she was doing and she said, stop doing that. And I said, okay. So, so I was still trying to do it. You know, I was like, well, maybe she's got something figured out that I don't, even though I'm, you know, not using a plan as much anymore. Maybe I should try to follow her plan. And she said, no, just be present. Just sit and watch, feel the energy of the room, watch the movements, listen to the breathing, notice the experience of the people. That's more important than the shapes. And the shapes are an expression of that. There's a flow to it. There's a logic to it but there's also just as much an energy to it, a presence to it. And that's what we're bringing to that live experience that there's really no substitute for. And as teachers, we can provide that experience, that space to be present, to connect to the divine. That's unlike anything else in the world, right? Pilates is great, but it's just exercise in a lot of ways. Lifting weights is great, but it's just exercise in a lot of ways. There's a lot of physical things that we can do that are somewhat similar and often lumped in with yoga, but there's nothing quite like the yoga experience of yoga being connection to divine, connection to the breath and body in the present moment. That's what we offer as teachers, and that's so much more than a perfect plan or a perfect sequence. And I didn't plan this episode. So if it was coherent and made sense, I'm happy to hear hear that and I hope it was helpful. Uh, but I tried to apply what I'm talking about here live. I didn't take notes. Sometimes I'll have bullet points. Sometimes I'll write a little bit out for an episode. But I was just sharing this in the moment, present and spontaneous, just like I do with my live classes. And I don't have as much experience doing that talking 
I have a lot of experience doing that teaching yoga, but hopefully it's resonant and coherent and helpful for you here on the podcast. And again, you can subscribe at quietmind.yoga slash podcast because I'll have a really cool offer coming up in March for yoga teachers. This is something I haven't offered before. I've been working with clients one-on-one who are yoga teachers already about building their business and more specific exact things that they're working on beyond the RYT 200 or 300 or 500, but specific business skills and entrepreneurial skills and marketing things, all the stuff beyond the RYTs. So if you're interested in all that, go to quietmind.yoga slash podcast. Stay tuned because by March, I'll have a special offer and opportunity to work with me in that way that I'm really excited about. And if you're curious and want to know more about working with me in any way, you can also just send me an email, jeremy at quietmind.yoga. So thank you for listening. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share this with a friend if you think it's helpful. And I look forward to sharing more with you next time on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.